Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. What would you do if you knew that it was your final night on earth? What if you were on death row awaiting your martyrdom for your faith? How would you spend that time? It's an interesting thing to ponder. If you knew that when you woke up, you would, you would die for your faith, you would be put to death for no other reason other than that you affirmed that Jesus is Lord and you had given your life to proclaim that truth to everyone that you could. How would you spend your final night on death row, if you will? I don't know about you, but I thought about that question and I think I might spend that night maybe in anguish, maybe in despair, maybe in frustration, maybe in prayer. God, would you give me a, a last minute miracle and would you let me out? And maybe in prayer, God, would you give me the strength to stand firm for my faith? I, I don't know what I would do, but it's an interesting question to ponder. If, if we knew that it was our final night, maybe it would be in, in anger toward God. How could you let this happen? I lived for you and this is what you allowed. It might be with uh, maybe with lots of tears or questions or maybe even bitterness. In America, we have an interesting thing that we do for those that are on death row and we allow them a final meal. Have you ever thought about that? If you only had one meal left, what would you eat? And uh, how many of you say it would be In-N-Out Burger? That's what I would eat if I had my final, a few of you it might be, right? And I was reading this week in America, when someone's scheduled to be, to be executed, they choose their last meal. I read that <clears throat> serial killer John Wayne Gacy, he chose a dozen fried shrimp, a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken original recipe. I'm a fan of the spicy myself. French fries and a pound of strawberries. Timothy McVeigh, you'll recall that name from the Oklahoma City bombing. His final request was two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Before his execution in Arkansas, Ricky Ray Rector asked for a meal of steak, fried chicken, cherry Kool-Aid, and pecan pie. Do you say it pecan pie or pecan pie? I'm not sure. I always say pecan. The interesting thing about his meal is he didn't eat his pecan pie. He told the, uh, the guard, I'm saving that for later. And I'm not sure what that meant. Uh, he, that was his last meal. If there was ever a time to eat dessert first, that would have been it. And Victor Figuero was hanged in Iowa at the age of 28. For his final meal, he requested a single olive with the pit still in it. That's what he asked for. What would, what would be our last meal? I might have just made some of us hungry for lunch after church, talking about that food. But it's interesting to ponder those thoughts, how we might spend our last day, our last night. What would be our last actions, our last words? I want us to look at Peter as he was on death row. We're going to pick up our text in Acts in chapter number 12. For those that were here last week, it's the same passage we were in last Sunday morning. And I spent, if you were with us last week, probably a 45-minute message. I spent about 30 of those minutes um, just walking us verse by verse through the first 17 verses of Acts 12, giving background and telling us who Herod was and where they were and why Peter was in jail and what was happening. I'm not going to take the time for sake of time to review all of that, but we laid that foundation last week. 
of this story. And, and I told you we're going to be in this story for at least this week and next, the next two weeks or so, studying it. But last week was a little more historical and a little more contextual, and we'll still be in context today, but, uh, but we, we laid all of that foundation. Today, we're going to spend about 30 minutes or so walking through this. And, and today's message, I would call it a little more of a devotional challenge, a little more some things, but some very relevant, applicable message and, and lessons for where we find ourselves in 2020 in Orange County, California. And we're going to look, if you will, Acts in chapter number 12, verse number one. We find ourselves here. We're in Jerusalem. What we're reading about is in Jerusalem. Uh, the king, King Herod Agrippa I, who was the grandson to King Herod the Great, he had already martyred one of Jesus' disciples. He had martyred James, and he's getting ready to kill maybe the most well-known disciple, Peter. Peter was the one that was always at the forefront. He preached Pentecost. He was the one that denied Christ. Then he was the one that was there. And, and Peter, uh, all, all through, maybe the most well-known, uh, most, most bold disciple. And last week, we saw his imprisonment and his miraculous escape. I want you to look for the sake of review, Acts chapter 12. Would you follow along the first four verses? Acts 12, verse number one. The Bible says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James, the first disciple to be martyred. Uh, Judas, the first disciple, of course, to die, died by suicide. James, the first one to be martyred for his faith. Verse 3, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. They're here at the Passover festival, and King Herod, Herod was a politician, and he, he was all he was about was himself. I'm going to do what, what earns me political points. I'm going to do what gets me more votes in November, whatever it takes. That's what I'm going to do. And so Herod, he killed James. And it says when he saw that it pleased the people, he made his decisions based on what was good for him politically. When he saw it pleased the people, he took Peter and he imprisoned him. But he had to wait about a week because you could not execute judgment. You could not, um, you could not perform an execution during the Days of Unleavened Bread, during this Passover celebration. And so we saw all of that. And it says in, in verse number four, I'm sorry, verse number, uh, yes, four. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Basically, what happened was there were 16 soldiers assigned to Peter. And uh, the Roman soldiers, their shift would be a three-hour shift. And so there were two guarding the door, and normally they would tie a soldier to one other soldier. But you'll recall in our study a couple of months ago uh, that they had imprisoned all the disciples, and you remember what happened? They all got out. And so they understand there's this weird thing that when we put disciples in jail, somehow they find their way out. And so we're going to now not just tie Peter or chain him to one soldier. We're going to chain Peter to two soldiers. So Peter is chained up to two other uh, guards. There are two other guards guarding the door. There are gates. There are all of these things. And, I, and what would be your response if you were Peter? You just found out one of your 11 closest friends was put to death for following Jesus. And now the same guy has put you in prison Literally, the Bible says the same night, you are on death row and you're scheduled to be executed tomorrow. Now let's look at Peter. I want you to read verse number six aloud, Peter's response. Verse number six, Acts 12, 
Let's read verse 6 aloud, nice and loud, over the airplane that it's going over right now. Ready? Begin. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Did you see what Peter's response was? And Peter was, what was it, church? What was he doing? He was what? The same thing some of us are doing right now. What was he doing? Sleeping. And Peter was sleeping. Of all the ways to spend your last night when you're about to be killed, what you might say unjustly, you didn't commit any crime. That seems like an odd response. I could see protesting. I could see appealing. I could see crying. I could see anger at God. I could see maybe prayer, but sleeping? And the message I want to bring us, it's a simple one this morning, but I believe one that will help us. I want to bring us a message this morning entitled, Asleep on Death Row. Asleep on Death Row. You know, I have had sleepless nights for far less than what Peter was facing here. There has been turmoil and challenges and struggles in my life that have led me to lay in bed with my mind racing wondering what was going to happen how was it going to be fixed how is this going to respond pastor tomlinson you pastor the church for 25 years there have been a few times in my almost five years as pastor here not many but a few that that i've lost some sleep thinking about how is this going to turn out you you've served god for more than 40 i'm sure you would say the same and yet peter i wasn't faced with death the next day and i've lost some sleep and yet peter we find him here asleep on death row and i believe that this example is a great one for us to consider in the summer of 2020. How has our spirit been when faced with the turmoil uh, that is all around us, the uncertainty, the injustices, the attacks, the opposition of the last six months or so? How have we responded? Have we responded in, in anger, in doubt, in fear, in criticism, in questioning God? Or has our heart, like Peter's, been at rest? Has our spirit had a divine peace that passes all understanding? When people look at you and at work and at home and your family and on social media and at the store and places you go, is, is the things and all the uncertainty and the things around us, the events, does it, when they see you, is there this overwhelming peace and joy that people can't understand? Or is this, is it an anger and it's a division and it's a, it's a frustration and it's a, it's almost being upset maybe at God or at our government or at this leader or at this decision or the fact that, and, and, all of that is understandable, humanly speaking, but as Christians, we're called to live above human wisdom. We're called to be filled with the Spirit, and Peter was asleep on death row. How did he do that? We see Paul and Silas praying and singing praises in prison. I don't know about you, but if I went to prison today, I don't know that my first response, my first response would probably be fear or anger or calling my lawyer or trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how do I make this right. What was Paul and Silas? They sang and prayed. Their rejoice was a peace that doesn't make sense. We see Jesus, this is actually why I bought the boat, just for this one part of the message, for this visual aid. We see Jesus asleep in the boat. I'm not sure it was a ski boat quite like this, but, but Jesus, when the storms are raging, the disciples literally thought, this is our last night on earth. We're about to die. And where was Jesus? Asleep on the boat. This morning, as we consider asleep on death row, I want us to see three things that we will need if we're going to have peace in the midst of this pandemic. 
If we're going to have peace in the midst of our storms, if we're going to have joy in the midst of adversity that lasts, that in, in our lives will adver- have adversity long after we get through this season, if we're going to have faith in the midst of uncertainty, if we're going to have trust in the midst of seeming defeat, by the way, it seemed like all hope was lost. James has already been put to death. Peter has been in prison for a week. He's about to be put to death. All hope is lost. And yet his response is, God, you are in control. I'm going to put my head head down and go to sleep. Peter was sleeping. How? I believe this passage shows us the three biggest reasons why. And they're the same three things that can give you rest in your soul for whatever it is that you're struggling with today. Number one, I want you to see, we saw it last week, but I want you to see why was Peter able to sleep? I believe, number one, the prayers of God's people. Notice what the Bible says after verse number four, when they brought him forth and he was in East in the prison, they were, they were about to bring him forth. Would you read verse five aloud with me? Acts 12, verse five, ready, begin. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God for him. Look at verse number 12. Verse number 12, after he gets out of prison, notice what it says. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Notice this, where what church? Where, where how, how, what was the number of people? Where many were gathered together praying. Many people praying. And I talked about this last week in my message entitled, Be Encouraged. Be encouraged was the message last week, and I didn't plan to be in Acts 12 in the midst of a pandemic. We started this series a year ago, but God has us here right now for such a time as this. And may I challenge us in the midst of these times where there is job loss, and there is frustration, and there is uncertainty, and there is sickness, and there is loss of loved ones, and and there there are confusing decisions being made, and there's contradicting news, and there's these social media posts, and this YouTube video, and there's all of these things. Instead of looking to all of that what should the believer's response be when faced with with certain trial the next day with difficulty with 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 pain with heartache the believer's response in acts was but prayer was made without ceasing i believe one reason that peter was able to sleep on death row was because of the prayers of god's people how did we do praying this week we, we all might have posted this week and we all might have talked this week and I posted this week and I talked this week and I talked about Governor Newsom's decision this week and we prayed about it and we made plans and preparations and I talked about the things I agree with and I talked about the things that I don't agree with. But may I say way more important in my opinion about those things is the prayer of God's people. How are we doing praying for our leaders and praying for those that are sick and praying for those whose businesses are hurting and praying for those that, that are uncertain and are fearful and praying for those families that are having that they're having struggles right now through all of this how are we doing in praying for one another what did paul often say he was going through major trials but he would write to the churches and he would say brethren pray for us we need you to pray for us and prayer brings peace in our lives the power here we see of a praying church the bible says many were gathered together why because in the midst of their uncertainty in the midst of governmental opposition in the midst of leaders making rulings they didn't like in the midst of all of that their response was but the church of god went to prayer i believe that our nation would be in much better shape if that was the response of every believer that we would go to prayer 
We would have far more peace. What did Paul say to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7? Be careful for nothing. That word careful doesn't mean not to be cautious. It doesn't mean don't be cautious for anything. It means to be full of care or anxiety, stress. Be be anxious, be careful, be stressed out about nothing. That's what the Bible says. But in everything by, here it is, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And what does the Bible say happens when we let God know what's on our heart? The Bible says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we come to God with whatever's making us anxious, when we come to God with whatever's stressing us out, when we come to God with whatever we're burdened about, when we come to God, the Bible says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. By the way, when we're worried about the future, one of the best things we can do is thank God for his faithfulness in the past. With thanksgiving. Remembering what he's done in the past gives us faith about his power for our unknown future. But when we do that, the Bible says there's a peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense. Well, Pastor Ryan, and I'm not the perfect example of this, but let's just say, well, why aren't you stressed out about that? And why aren't you worried about that? And why aren't you? And that doesn't mean I don't ever have fears and anxieties and and concerns and burdens about things. But at the time, if and when I ever have a peace that passes understanding, it's not from human wisdom. It's a gift from God as I trust in him and I rest in him. Prayer brings peace. Prayer brings protection. Prayer brings provision. Prayer reminds us of the presence of God. Church, may I ask, how is your peace this morning? Peter was asleep on death row. It doesn't get much more peaceful than that. I believe that one of the reasons is because of the prayers of God's people. How's your peace? I'm reminded of the old Peanuts cartoon with Charlie Brown and Lucy. In one of those cartoons, Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. And Charlie responds to Lucy and says, I thought, but I thought you had inner peace. Lucy replies, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. How many of us like Christians are that way? We have some inner peace, but if we're not careful, we still have some outer obnoxiousness. And and prayer brings peace. Number two, I told you I'm going to give you three thoughts this morning. Several of you are getting a free suntan, and you don't have to put extra in the offering plate for that later, all right? Appreciate you dealing with the direct heat. And again, for those that came in late, thank God we're not in 29 Palms where it's 107 today. All right. Number two, the promises of God. Would you take your Bibles? We often stay in the same passage. Today we're going to turn to two other passages. We're going to look at the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 28, as they relate to Peter's life. Matthew chapter number 28. Turn with me, if you will, Matthew chapter number 28. This is the the final chapter of Matthew's gospel. Jesus Christ has already been put to death. Peter has denied Christ, and, uh, and, and, and they're coming back, and now Jesus has appeared back to the disciples. And we're going to see, I believe, why Peter could sleep on death row. Number one, talk to me, was the what of God's people? The what? The what? Prayers. I believe, number two, the reason that Peter was able to sleep on death row, number two, was the promises of God. The promises of God. Look at Matthew chapter number 28. These are Jesus' last recorded words in the gospel according to Matthew. 
Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Peter and his ten fellow disciples. What does he say? All power. How much power, church? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, because of all the power that I have, go you, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. All And, and what does he say? And lo, I am with you. How long? Always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The last words, in, according to Matthew's gospel, that Peter heard Jesus say in this, in this gospel was, Go ye therefore and preach all na- teach all nations whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It do- hey, Peter. Hey, James. Hey, John. It doesn't matter what you guys face. It doesn't matter what you come across. It doesn't matter the trials you face. I, because I've been given all power and because of my power i want you to go be witnesses unto me and i promise you i will not leave you as it says in hebrews nor forsake you i promise you that i'll be with you until the end of the world and by the way i have to believe that those promises were burned into their hearts and minds matthew when he would write the gospel left that as the last verse i have to believe that that was a pretty important promise that they clung to and by the way we see them obeying that earlier in acts when they were in prison when they came out and they said don't preach jesus what did they say we're are we gonna obey god or man i'm sorry we can't help but speak the things which we've seen and heard i'm sorry but we are going to preach jesus i have to believe that it was these promises that got them through those difficult times it was these promises that got kept them preaching jesus when it meant the death of the threat of prison or even death and i believe these promises when peter was there because of the fact that they are mentioned often in the gospel as he's laying in jail and this is my assumption but based on his life and based on his testimony i believe that these promises and others like them allowed peter to lay his head down and sleep in the face of an of an impending execution wait a second the last thing he told us jesus told us was all power is given unto me go preach me and i promise i'm with you to the end of the world. So guess what? I guess the world hasn't ended yet. Yeah, I'm on death row, but the world hasn't ended. He's still with me. I think I can rest. All power is given unto him. The promises of God brought peace. The prayers of God's people brought peace. In, in, this, in, this, in this passage, Peter has just been through maybe the most traumatic experience of his life as he watched Jesus be crucified in Matthew 28. He's denied Christ three times, but in the midst of all of that, we see Jesus telling him that that he would always be with him. When you are struggling with the actions of man, you need to learn to rest on the promises of God. I'm going to say that again. If we were in the auditorium right now and we had the screens, this would have been one of those quotes I had them make up into a slide and put up there be, to, to get your attention because you kind of were daydreaming and get, make sure that you got this sentence. When we, when we, when you or when I, when we are struggling with the actions of man, we need to learn to rest on the promises of God. 
When we are fearful because of the actions of man, we need to learn to rest on the promises of God. When we are angry because of the actions of man, we need to learn to rest on the promises of God. When we are, when we are uh, uncertain because of the actions of man, we need to learn to rest on the promises of God. Promises like Isaiah 41 verse 10 that says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We need to rest on those promises like Isaiah 40 verse 31 but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint promises like Hebrews 13 verse 25 that says let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have notice this for he hath said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee the command is be content with what you have and with where God has placed you but here's the reason because the promise that he said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee what does that promise tell us no matter where I find myself he's still in control and I can rest I can be at peace I be, can be contented when I get the promotion and when I don't when when my kids make a good decision and when they make a poor one when I make a good decision and when I make a poor one when I when I lose the job when I get the job whatever it might be I can be content why because he promised he would never leave me nor forsake me. Promises like first, listen to this, first, Peter. You know who wrote this one? Peter. First Peter 5 verse 10, but the God of all grace, he wrote this by the way after he was on death row, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, notice this, after that you have suffered a while, will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. What does he say? Suffering brings good things in our lives. The man that was on death row clung to those promises. Promises like Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Well, what's going to happen in this generation? And what's, what's the world going to look like for my children? And what's America going to look like for my grandchildren? And by the way, that's a concern that I have as well. I have five children and maybe someday we'll have grandchildren. That's a concern that I have. But you know what the promise is? That God will still be faithful to a thousand generations according to Deuteronomy. Our one or two or three generations are but a blip on the, on the timeline of Almighty God. He's in control, church. He's in control. Rest in those promises. Second, listen to this. Second, Peter. 1 verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust we've been given some exceeding great and precious promises rest in them in our time of struggle philippians 4 verse number 19 a promise that says but my god shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory i understand there are some conditions on that and you can study that passage in context first kings chapter 8 verse 56 Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. Listen to this. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. I like that. There hath not failed one word of his promise. Last one for now. John 14 verses 1 through 3. What did Jesus say? They were fearful. What's going to happen? You're leaving Jesus. His disciples were scared to death. What's the future going to look like? What's my career going to look like? 
Who are we going to work for? What what are the politicians going to think about us? What's going to happen to our kids? What did Jesus say in John 14, verses 1 through 3? Let not your heart be what? Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. That's the command. And here's the reason why. You believe in God. Believe also in me, speaking of Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will promise, I will promise, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. What is Jesus saying? Don't be troubled. Why? And Peter heard that promise. And I believe he embraced that promise. I believe he internalized those promises. And you know what that led to? A good night's rest on death row. Dying tomorrow? Well, I like my sleep. I'm going to sleep. I'm not going to stay up and fret. Nothing else I can do bed. I'm leaving it in God's hands. The promises of God. Church family, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to remind us in 2020, those that are watching online, and I failed to welcome you to our service. I know we have some in our church that are able to come out right now. We welcome you. If you're watching online, you're up on the hill, you're here under the shade, or you're baking in the sun, whatever the case may be, I want to remind all of us, God is not dead. God is not dead. He has not forgotten us. He is not confused. He is not surprised. He's not overwhelmed. It seems like every time I turn on the news or the social media or I get a text message, there's a new surprise that I get to deal with as it relates to leading our church and school in Orange County, California in 2020. Guess what? I might have been surprised with some things this week. God wasn't surprised by anything. He hasn't fallen asleep. We are not alone. Rest in him. Rejoice in him. Remember his promises. Proclaim his truth. By the way, if the promises aren't true, then we should just pack all this up. All of us get on the boat, go to the lake, and have a good Sunday. There's no point to be here if the promises aren't true. But the promises are true. And if they are, it should change our, our priorities and change our, our attitudes. And there shouldn't be the same fear in our hearts as those that don't know Christ. I like what the hymn writer said. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Why? Standing on the promises of God. Why could he sleep on death row? I believe the prayers of God's people. I believe the promises of God. He meditated on the promises of God. We meditate on scientific data and medical reports and news broadcasts and social media posts. How often are we meditating on the promises of God? By the way, I'm not shaming anybody that wants to be informed. I look at the Orange County and U.S. coronavirus case statistics every single day. I feel I have a responsibility as I'm making decisions that affect hundreds of people in our ministry. I'm not saying you can't be informed, but here's the question. Are we spending more time studying the jobless numbers and studying the poll numbers for Trump and Biden and studying these things than we are studying and standing on and resting in the promises of God? 
We are on the winning side, church. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us so. I get weary when I hear Christians talking about or, or see them posting the end. This is the end of our nation. And I don't know what will happen to our churches in the coming years. And I've never seen it this bad. By the way, Peter had never seen it that bad either. He had never been knocking on death's door the night before. But he had a peace that passed all understanding. And let's make sure we don't give in and keep our eyes only on what's around around us but keep our eyes on who's above us and stand on the promises of God when we say things like this I don't know what the, if the church will survive this I, I don't know if Christianity in America what we're saying is and what I think that we believe maybe that God has somehow lost control has God lost control church absolutely not He's still the God that led the disciples through all of that persecution. He's the God that's been faithful for the last 2,000 years since Peter was on death row. He's, he's seen things worse than what you and I have faced in our lifetime. God has not lost control. Does your God slumber or sleep? No, he does not. Is his arm shortened that he cannot save? No, it isn't. Is his ear closed that he cannot hear? No. And again, I'm not ignorant of the truths and the reality of the day in which we're living. I understand that everybody in our country and in our world is not excited about Christians and Christian living and principles of the Bible. I understand the reality of the day in which we live. I'm aware of all that is going on around us. I'm just more aware of the power of the one above us. That would have gone on the slide right here too. I'm aware of all that is going on around us. I'm just more aware of the power of the one above us. If you want, you can put that on Twitter. Hashtag Pastor Ryan had one good sentence, one good statement today, all right? What I'm saying is turn off the news, log out of social media if you need to, turn off the radio and dive into the promises of God. Having a hard time sleeping? Instead of counting sheep, start reciting the promises of God. Get into his word, spend some time in prayer, and you, like Peter, might be able to sleep in your time of uncertainty. Why was Peter asleep on death row? Talk to me. Number one, the what of God's people? The what? The prayers of God's people. Number two, the what of God? The promises of God. Number three, and we're done. The principles of God's word. Turn with me, if you will. Last place we'll turn. John chapter number 21. This is beautiful. I hadn't seen this until I dug into the study the last couple of weeks on this passage. John chapter 21. John 21. See if I can find it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There it is. John 21, verse number 17. John 21, verse 17. He saith unto him the third time. Who is he talking to here? He saith unto them the third time. Who? Simon, that's Peter, son of Jonas. Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest, all, uh, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. This is the story where after Jesus' resurrection, before his ascension, he appears to the disciples who are fishing on the boat. And they're there and, and Jesus comes to the shore. They go out and they're sitting around and Peter has denied Jesus three times and Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Now notice what it says in verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. That seems like a weird verse. 
When you were young, you got dressed and went wherever you wanted to. You put on your shoes, you put on your clothes. But when you are old, you're going to stretch forth your hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. It's a weird verse, but notice what it says in verse number 19. This spake he, what is it, church? Signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. What did Jesus just tell Peter? You're going to die as an old man crucified on a Roman cross. Well, guess what? On death row, Peter wasn't an old man. He wasn't old yet, and that wasn't the death that was waiting him. I believe that one reason Peter was able to sleep, although it didn't seem like it, the circumstances that were facing him didn't seem like it, the principles of God's word said it's not possible for you to die right now. Simply put, because of what Jesus had told him in John 21, Peter couldn't die that way and at that time in Acts 12. Jesus had foretold his death here. Peter knew that Herod could not kill him because Jesus promised that he would live to be an old man and end his life crucified on a Roman cross. And by the way, Peter would live 20 years at least longer after, maybe close to 25, after what we read in Acts 12. Acts 12 was a decade after Jesus left, but the principles of God's word, the promises of Je- the prophecies of Jesus, Jesus was telling him, no matter what happens in your life, I am in control. No matter how hopeless things look, I am in control. No matter what battles you find yourself facing, I'm in control. Why could Peter be so bold for Christ? He realized who was in control. Why could Peter have such peace on death row? He knew who was really in control. Herod couldn't do anything outside of God's plan. And Jesus had told Peter, you are going to die as an old man crucified. They're going to gird you and take you a place you wouldn't choose to go. And this spake he signifying the death of Peter. I believe those words of Jesus as he's laying there, it doesn't make sense to me. the, the, The events of the day don't make sense to me. But I'm going to rest on the principles of God's word because he promised this is not how I'm going out. And church family, when the events of the day seem hopeless, when it seems like there's no way out, when we don't know how it's all going to turn out, I believe we can find peace that passes understanding, resting in the principles, the truths of God's word. We go back and when, when current events seem to contradict scripture, rest in scripture. God has not lost control. He's still in control. By the way, the peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but is rather the confidence that he is there with you always. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. The night before Ridley's execution, some 500 years ago almost, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. He's about to die, and his brother says, I'll stay here with you on your last night. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever he did in his life. Maybe he was reminded of Peter in Acts 12. Whatever the case was, Nicholas Ridley knew something about a peace that passes understanding. Peter knew something about a peace that passes understanding.
You and I need to know something about a peace that passes understanding. Where did it come from for Peter? Talk to me and we're done. It came from, number one, the what of God's people? How are we doing praying? How's our prayer life? How are we doing praying about these things that burden us? These, these things we don't agree with, these things we don't like. How are we doing praying? Number two, not only that, but the promises of God. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And the principles of God's word. How about you? How would you spend your last night on death row? How are we handling the turmoil that's all around us today? Has it put you on edge? Has it divided you from friends as you fight over masks and politics and Trump and Biden and Newsom and Pelosi? Has it distracted you from the goodness of God as your 401k has taken a beating? Has it caused you to doubt the goodness of God as you've lost a job or lost a loved one? 2,000 years ago, Peter and the disciples faced some things far worse than what we're facing today, than, than this coronavirus pandemic and all that surrounds it. And what was their response? Peace, prayer, Resting in the promises of God, trusting in the power of God, fulfilling the calling of God on their lives. They didn't get distracted from what God had called them to do. Jesus slept in the boat in a raging storm. Peter slept on death row, chained to two soldiers. Paul and Silas prayed and sang prison praises to God in a dark, dingy prison cell. What about you? And what about me? Do we have a peace that passes all understanding? The only way we get it is to rest and be confident that he is truly in control. No matter what comes down here, Herod might say something against us and rulers might rise up against us and, and, and friends, we might, we might lose a loved one. He lost Jay. We might get, get, get uh, persecuted for our faith and we're not facing persecution in America to this day. There's some opposition to the faith, I believe, in America. I don't believe there's any persecution at this point. That would be a, an insult to those around the world that have faced true persecution. But there may come a day that we face persecution. No matter what that truth is, we should be able to sleep, figuratively speaking, on death row. A peace that passes all understanding. We don't need to lose sleep over this. We know the one who has it all in control. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.